No Salvation Outside the Catholic Church, Part 2. This presentation was given by Father Isaac Mary Relier, released Saturday, May 16, 2020, and is sponsored by the Fatima Center. Ave Maria, this is Father Isaac Mary Relier from the Fatima Center. Let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Remember, O most compassionate Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. By, by this confidence we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our Mother. To thee we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. Mother of the Word incarnate, despise our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer. Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. St. Francis and St. Pio, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. We just celebrated the 103rd anniversary of the first apparition on May 13th of Fatima. And it was a shame because it was the first time in the history of the church since the apparitions in 1917 that the shrine was shut down. And that they sent over 3,000 police officers to surround basically Fatima and make sure that no one would enter that shrine. I just point this out now. It shows you how bad things are and how we're under this police state throughout the whole world. And the main goal is to destroy religion, destroy the church. Last week... I did some questions and answers, and I spoke about the dogma, no salvation outside the church. Whenever I priests speak about the dogma, no salvation outside the church, it stirs up so many problems. And the comments that were coming in, uh, especially some people don't believe there's no such thing as baptism of desire, and everyone's a theologian, of course. Father, in case you don't know this, but there is no baptism of desire. And so, you know, we, what would we do without all these theologians out there who have studied theology and so forth? But today I want to, I have to explain a little more in detail because I cut it short last week. We had to cut it short because we were, we were using a particular app that only gave me 40 minutes. So today I want to look into a little more about dogma, no salvation outside the church. Once again, I've been a priest for, it's going to be 21 years in a couple of months, and I've preached all over the world. And you could tell what really bothers the devil, because when you preach the truth, and you could see if it's a stronghold for him, something, he really kicks up, and he really attacks, and he causes chaos. And... You could preach on abortion, contraception, you could preach on a religious liberty and freedom, of course, and then you start getting his, his heels start kicking up. And the thing that drives the devil more crazy than anything is when a priest preaches on the dogma, no salvation outside the Catholic Church. So why is that? Because it's true. That's why. It's true. And the devil knows it's true, so if he could dupe you and get you to believe that that is nonsense, he owns you for eternity. And all the whole faith hinges on that dogma. I mean, Christ came, he established one church, not two, three, or five thousand, one church. 
And so this is one of the toughest dogmas of the church. But it is given to us by Christ himself. And that's what is the definition of the theological virtue of faith. What is the definition? A quick one is that we believe or you believe as a person in everything that Christ revealed to Holy Mother Church. Not because our intellect is sense to it, but because Christ is God, he cannot deceive nor be deceived. And that's why we believe it. And he has taught, and everything in the Catholic faith that's a dogma was taught by Christ to the apostle and is handed down. And it can never change because these dogmas are infallible. And Christ taught that there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church and taught the apostles. So, normally speaking, I, w- I want to cover this. So, let's just look at this situation. Say a Roman Catholic or Catholic in union with Rome is dying and the person is in mortal sin. That means he committed a grave sin. He knew it was grave. He had sufficient knowledge and free will. And when you do that, the Holy Trinity leaves your soul. And if you die in mortal sin, the church has definitively defined that, you will go to hell. There's no doubt about it. That's where you go. So can a Catholic who's dying in mortal sin, can he save his soul if there's no priest there to hear his confession, to absolve him, to anoint him? And the church says, yes, he can save his soul, but, and I mean a big but, he would have to make a perfect act of love. So many Catholics are so confused and uh, in error on what they think a perfect act of love is. Some people, Catholics, many, believe just anyone can make a perfect act of love at any time they want. And, that, and that's not true. Some people believe, once again, that perfect act of love, all you have to do is read the formula, the prayer. And that's not enough. The prayer is trying to help you to dispose your soul so that you have the proper, the proper disposition to make this perfect act of love. So perfect act of love is where you're sorry for committing the sins that you have, not because you're afraid of going to hell at all, but because you love God so much and you don't want to offend him. Perfect act of love. The great saints and doctors of the church, they tell you, St. Alphonse, it's a greater miracle when a soul makes a perfect act of love than raising someone from the dead, say. So it's a great miracle. But to make a perfect act of love, you have to, once again, you have this such great love for God, you don't want to offend him. And you cannot be attached to even the slightest venial sin. So it's an extraordinary grace. But it can happen. But the normal ways for a Catholic immortal sin, of course, is that's why we have the sacraments. Christ gave us the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, to be anointed. Uh, when a priest goes to anoint someone who's dying, you should hear, if they're able to confess, they have to confess. If they don't want to confess, they don't have a proper disposition. And you won't, you don't anoint them. But if they can't confess, they can't speak, the anointing, or someone's unconscious, I've gone to uh, scenes where this person is unconscious, so you don't know their disposition, so you conditionally anoint them. And that, if they have the proper disposition, if they would want to receive the sacraments, it will wipe all the sin away. So my whole point is, yes, this is what the church says, 
how someone in mortal sin, a Catholic, what he has to try to do to save his soul if there's no priest to anoint him. And that's why I always stress in my missions and when I preach that you should do three Hail Marys every day in honor of the Blessed Virgin, that you will see the efficacious grace that when it comes time for you to die, which that will come, you will see the efficacious grace to receive the sacraments. You will receive the anointing. You will receive Holy Viaticum. You will receive absolution for your sins. And you will see the apostolic blessing. If you pray that every day, you will get it. And so the next question is, this is where the problems come in real big time, is can a Protestant, a Jew, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Greek, Russian Orthodox, can they save their soul if they do not physically come into the church, that a priest, Catholic priest comes and brings them into the church? And the church... and no, the church has said, yes, it's possible. And I'm going to read to you some statements from the uh, Pope and Thomas Aquinas, and I'm going to tell you a, a true story. And so the question comes down to this, is God bound to operate only by the means that he has revealed to us and that he has established, which normally the economy of salvation is seven sacraments, right? And the answer is no, he's not bound by the means, the normal means that he has established. And we could give you two examples from Scripture uh, right away. Is uh, You know, we know that the Blessed Virgin was conceived, accurately conception. She was conceived of sin. Now, that is not the normal way. And God is not bound by that, by baptism, by water. Well, the church said there's baptism of desire and blood. And so the Blessed Virgin Mary, God applied the graces that his son would merit on the cross. And he applied it ahead of time because there is no time with God. To a Blessed Virgin where she was preserved from original sin. So when she was conceived in her mother's womb, she was conceived in sanctifying grace. Another example is when our Blessed Virgin Mary, she went to the visitation to St. Elizabeth. And when she went there, St. Elizabeth said, Who am I that the mother of my God shall come to me, right? St. John, the Baptist, in St. Elizabeth's womb, leapt for joy, and the fathers, doctors, great saints, tell us, the church, that John, St. John the Baptist was sanctified in his mother's womb. He was conceived in original sin, but he was born free from it because it was an extraordinary miracle. So God can work extraordinary miracles, of course, when he wants. So I want to make clear. So the church says there is baptism with desire. That it is possible. But that doesn't mean it takes place all the time. And we don't know how many people have been saved through baptism with desire. Most of the time, God works in the ordinary means. So if there's people that are faithful to the natural law, we're going to get into this a little. And uh, normally St. Thomas Aquinas said, God would send them a missionary. Okay? A missionary priest like myself to teach them the faith, to baptize them, normally speak. And we see a great example of that. One of the greatest cases of bilocation in the history of the church is Venerable Maria of Agreta. When the Franciscans went to Mexico in North America, 
they were looking for the Indians one day because they wanted to bring them Christ. Our Lord gave the command, go to all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them everything I have commanded you. They took that serious back then. And so they were walking in the woods, and all of a sudden they came across these Indians that were in a procession. They had a big cross with a corpus on it, and these Franciscans were, were blown away. They were amazed. They said to the Indians, you know, they never seen a white man before. And they're like, these Franciscans were from Spain. And he said, you know, do you know what you're doing? Yes, we know what we're doing. This is, who's that on? This is Jesus Christ on the cross, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He condescended, took flesh, and he died for our sins. And they knew the whole catechism inside out. And so when they were talking, they said, how do you know all this? They said, well, every day for the last five years, I think it was, this lady comes and appears on a cloud. And she teaches us catechism every day. So they said, describe this woman as they describe her. And the, the, the priest said, I know. One of the priests said, I know that woman. That's Maria Regretta. She's a cloistered Franciscan uh, conception is none. And so they wrote everything down. People witnessed it, other priests. And the bishop said, put that priest on the boat back to Spain. And when he went back, he said, go to the bishop in Spain, right by where Maria is, of Greta. And they went to the convent, and he told the mother superior what's going on. So they bring Venerable Maria Greta down, and they made a swear on the Bible. And they said, are you bilocating? That means you're in two places at the same time. And she was under holy obedience. So she said she had to say, yes, I, will. I am. You know, for how long, where are you going? And she told everything matched up to all that was written down, testified by the witnesses and the Indians. And she was bilocated for five years. She taught them all the faith. And then God sent his missionaries. So that's the normal means. Uh, the faith in Korea, the same thing. How did the faith come to Korea? That they were studying all these different philosophies. And they had a book from China. It was Catholic philosophy. And they all decided, the uh, the elderly men that were doing it, that this is the only one that makes sense. This Catholic philosophy. So they sent two young men to China to bring back a Catholic priest. They come back, no priest would come, they were too busy. So they sent those two young men to Rome. And when they went to Rome, they came back six years later, I think it was, ordained priests themselves. And they brought the faith to their people. So this is the normal ways. And that's how God works normally. But there are circumstances where he can work in an extraordinary way, like a, a, by baptism of desire. So St. Thomas Aquinas says, What are we to think of the salvation of those who are out of the pale of the church without any fault of theirs and who never had any opportunity to know better? To this question, says, we give the following answer. Their inculpable, invincible ignorance will not save them. But if they fear God and they live up to their conscience, God in his infinite mercy will furnish them with the necessary means of salvation, even so as to send, if needed, an angel to instruct them in the Catholic faith, rather than let them perish through inculpable ignorance. 
So St. Thomas is saying a couple of ignorance means due to no fault of your own, you don't know that there's a Catholic church. No missionary priest ever came to you. He says that alone is not enough to save you. If you die with invincible ignorance, not united to the church, you're not going to heaven. If you have no sins on you, no mortal sin, you could go to, uh, you know, you need supernatural faith. You need to be baptized. So invincible ignorance is not enough. St. Antimiray Claret says, well, God sent someone to hell because due to invincible ignorance, he didn't know there was a Catholic church. He says, no, but he will send them to hell for his sins, for his mortal sins that he has committed. So I want to read to you from Pius Ninth. In 1863, on promotions of false doctrines, he says this. Here too, our beloved sons and venerable brothers, it is again necessary to mention and censure a very grave error in trapping some Catholics who believe that it is possible to arrive at eternal salvation or though living in error and alienated from the true faith in Catholic unity. Such belief is certainly opposed to Catholic teaching. There are, of course, those who are struggling with invincible ignorance about our most holy religion, sincerely observing the natural law and its precept inscribed by God on all hearts and ready to obey God. They live honest lives and are able to obtain eternal life by the efficacious virtue of divine light and grace, because God knows, searches, and clearly understands the minds, the hearts, the thoughts, and nature of all. His supreme kindness and clemencies do not permit anyone at all who is not guilty of deliberate sin to suffer eternal punishment. It's very clear and it makes sense. God's not, you know, he's a kind God, he's a merciful God. So once again, his supreme kindness and clemency do not permit anyone at all who is not guilty of deliberate sin to suffer eternal punishment. I'm going to read to you now, and this is you know, this is a true story that I'm going to read to you. This is a story about Father Herman Cohen. And Father Cohen was a, a Jewish man, and he was living a wicked life. He was a a great organist, and one day they needed him to play the organ during a benediction service in a Catholic church. And Father Cohen was living a wicked life. So he's playing, and he said when the priest lifted up the monstrance to give the benediction, he was driven down to his knees, and God revealed to him who he was and the true faith. So Father Cohen, at that time, Herman Cohen, he abandoned his wicked life and he became a Catholic, a Roman Catholic. And not only did he become a Catholic, he became a Carmelite priest. So Father, when he was converted, he used to beg the Blessed Virgin Mary for the conversion of his mother, who was a Jew. And he knew that if she died a Jew, she would go to hell. And so Father Cohen had consecrated his mother to Our Lady hundreds of times and offered many prayers for her salvation. He never lost hope of his mother's salvation. The last moment for Mrs. Cohen arrived on the 13th of December in 1855, 
Father Herman was preaching at, in Advent in Lyon at the time, and he announced this sad news to his friends in these terms. God has struck a terrible blow to my heart. My poor mother is dead, and I remain in incertitude. However, we have so much prayed that we must hope that something has passed between our soul and God during these last moments that we cannot know about. We can easily imagine the pain of Father Herman in learning of the death of his mother. He had so much prayed and so much had pray, uh, prayed for her conversion. And she came to appear before the tribunal of God without having received holy baptism. I also have a mother, would he write one day. I have left her to follow Jesus Christ. She no longer calls me her good son. Already her hair is silver. Already her brow is furrowed. And I am afraid to see her die. Oh, no, I would not like to see her die before loving Jesus Christ. And already for many years I await for my mother that which Monica awaited for Augustine. God seemed to have despised all his prayers and rejected his loving and legitimate desires. His faith and his love were put through a harsh trials. Nevertheless, if his sorrow was deep, his hope in the infinite goodness of God would not allow itself to be struck down. A short time later, he confided to, the, to St. John Vianney, who was alive, his disquiet about the death of his poor mother, who died without the grace of baptism. Hope, replied the man of God, hope. You will receive one day on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception a letter that will bring you great consolation. These words were almost forgotten when on the 8th of December in 1861, six years after the death of his mother, a father of the Company of Jesus, handed to Father Herman the following letter. Uh, a little footnote here. The person who wrote this letter died in the order of sanctity. She was well known in the religious and ascetical world by her written works on the Eucharist. So the letter read the following. On the 18th of October, after Holy Communion, I found myself in one of those moments of intimate union with our Lord, where he made me so feel his presence in the sacrament of his love that fate seemed no longer necessary to believe him there. After a short time, he had me hear his voice and he wanted to give me some explanations relative to a conversation that I had had the night before. I remember that in that conversation, one of my friends who manifested her surprise that our Lord, who had promised to accord everything to a prayer, had, however, remained deaf to those of the Reverend Father Hermit, who had so many times addressed him to obtain the conversion of his mother. Her surprise went almost as far as discontentment and I had the difficulty in having her understand that we must adore the justice of God and not to seek to penetrate its secrets. I dare to ask of my Jesus how it was that he who was goodness itself had been able to resist the prayers of Father Herman and not grant the conversion of his mother. This was our Lord's response. 
Why does Anna always want to sound the secrets of my justice? And why does she seek to penetrate mysteries that she cannot comprehend? Tell her that I do not owe my grace to anyone, that I give it to whom I please, and that in acting in this way, I do not cease to be just and justice itself. But that she may know that rather than not keep the promise that I have made to pray, pray, I will upset heaven and earth and every prayer that has my glory and the salvation of souls for object is always heard when it is clothed in the necessary qualities. He added, and to prove to you this truth, I willingly make known that which passed at the moment of the death of the mother of Father Herman. My Jesus then enlightened me with a ray of his divine light and had me understand, or rather to see in him that which I want to try to relate. At the moment where the mother of Father Herman was on the point of rendering her last breath, at the moment that she seemed deprived of awareness, almost without life, Mary, our good mother, presented herself before her divine son and prostrate at his feet, she said to him, Pardon and mercy, O my son, for this soul who is going to perish, yet another instant and she would be lost, lost for eternity. I beseech you, do for the mother of my servant, Herman, that which she would like to be done for your own, if she was in her place, and if you were in his. The soul of his mother is his most precious good. He has consecrated her to me a thousand times. He has consecrated her to the tenderness and solicitude of my heart. Could I suffer her to perish? No, no, this soul is mine. I will it, I claim it as an inheritance, as the price of your blood and of my sufferings at the foot of your cross. Hardly had the sacred supplant ceased speaking when a strong, powerful grace came forth from the source of all graces, from the adorable heart of our Jesus, and came to enlighten the soul of the poor, dying Jewess. Instantly triumphing over her stubbornness and resistance. This soul immediately turned herself with love and confidence towards him who mercy had pursued her as far as the arms of death and said to him, O oh Jesus, God of the Christians, God whom my son adores, I believe, I hope in thee, have pity on me. In this cry heard, by God alone, and which came from the intimate depths of the heart of the dying woman, were enclosed the sincere sorrow for her obstination and for her sins, and the desire of baptism, the express will to receive it and to live according to the rules and precepts of our holy religion. If she had been able to return to life, this leap of faith and hope in Jesus was the last sentiment of that soul. It was made at the moment when she brought forth the throne of, of the divine mercy, breaking away the weak bonds which held her to her mortal casing. She fell at the feet of him 
who had been her savior a moment before being her judge. After having showed me all these things, our Lord added, Make this known to Father Herman. It is a consolation that I wish to accord to his long sorrows, so that he will bless and have blessed everywhere the goodness of the heart of my mother and her power over mine. Totally unknown to Reverend Father Herman, the poor invalid who had just now penned these lines is happy to think that she has perhaps spread a little consolation and balm on the still bleeding wounds of the heart of his this son and priest. She dared to ask the alms in his fervent prayers, and she likes to believe that he will not refuse the one who, even though unknown to him, is united to him by the sacred bonds of the same faith and of the same hope. What appears to add great authority to this letter, my friends, is that it had been announced six years in advance by St. John Vianney. This, my friends, is a powerful story. It involves one of the greatest saints in the history of the church, St. John Vianney. And when you go over everything that I just read from this letter, it obtains everything that we talk about as a perfect act of love. Okay, that she was willing to live according to the rules and the precepts of our holy religion, that she had that desire. She recognized God as her savior, and she had a deep sorrow for her sin, perfect act of love. This is such a great story. It shows you that God can save through a baptism of desire. Once again, how often does that happen? I don't know. You don't know. But it has happened, and we see a case here. We can learn many great lessons from this beautiful story. Number one, okay, never give up on any soul, even after they die, no matter how bad it looks. Because we don't know what happens between God and that soul, just like happened to Father Herman's mother. God could give an extraordinary grace to the soul in a coma. We don't know. He could send, like Thomas Aquinas said, an angel to instruct them in all the faith. And then they, if they embrace it, they can be saved. The next thing is, why did God let Blessed Henry Cohen, the priest, wait six years? Why? Why didn't he just tell him that right away? Why didn't he reveal this right away? And I believe it's because he wanted Father Cohen to continue to pray for the salvation of his mother. Because there is no time with God, and God can apply graces ahead of time. And so this is important that we, this is why I preach this doctrine all the time, no salvation outside the church, that you, like Father Cohen, will pray for your deceased persons that were not united to the Catholic Church physically, and we, didn't, we don't know what happened ultimately. That there is a possibility that they could have this baptism desire, or they could have made this perfect act of love, you know, and save their souls. This is so important. And this is why Lady at Fatima, she told us, most souls go to hell because no one will pray or do penance for them. So it's your prayers, your penances. We can help save souls. That we can participate in the salvation of others, not just our own salvation. That God is just, but he's also merciful. And that he hears our prayers, he says he will give us our heart's desire. And so this is important. Too many people say, oh, you know, it's all right. My father, my mother left the church. My brother, died. God doesn't send anyone to hell. That's all nonsense. 
He wants you to pray for these people, especially of loved ones, even those that are not our loved ones, so that they can be converted. All right, this is so important. And I wanted to read this story. We're going to put the link again below this, uh, you know, the links below the talk. And they're going to link to a talk, once again, that I gave on the forgotten dogma, no salvation outside the church. I gave it in Houston a couple of years ago. And that goes into detail about this dogma. I quote scripture, I quote the popes, saints, and I read the story in there again. So go on there and really open up, be open to God, and, and listen to it so you get a better understanding and do more research. But these are deep mysteries. As our Lord said to that mystic, uh, that, that lady, she had no business probing into these deep mysteries. We can't understand all these things. But God does work in powerful ways. And we want a trust in God and we want to entrust our loved ones to Him and beg them for the conversion. And the next, the other thing is consecration to the Blessed Virgin is so, so powerful. And so I hope you are consecrated to the Blessed Virgin because once you do that, she owns you as her possession of property. She doesn't lose what she owns. And you could consecrate your children to the Blessed Virgin Mary because you have paternal, maternal, maternal, and paternal rights over them. And they become her possession of property. And I was always told, taught as a priest too, that you could consecrate yourself and you could consecrate if you have children. You could consecrate them to the Immaculate Heart. But that was as far as I, I thought we can go. But in this beautiful story, we can realize that Father Cohen consecrated his mother. And the Blessed Virgin, because of that consecration, because of his prayers, she went before our Lord, before he took Father Cohen's mother. And she said, she's about to be cast into the abyss of hell. But she is mine. I claim her for my inheritance. I claim her because of this, the blood that you shed upon the cross. And all her sufferings, the Blessed Virgin, who's the Queen of Martyrs, experienced at the cross. So now, consecrate your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, your friends, and trust in God. But in the meanwhile, too, we should be preaching this dogma. Dogma. The church, since the council, Second Vatican Council, has basically given up on the missionary life. That no, we don't, you don't have to be Catholic to get into heaven. That's heresy. So take this doctrine serious, because it is serious. It is a matter of salvation. Pray to the Blessed Virgin that you will save your soul and that others. Once again, I'd like to thank all you people for all your support for the Fatima. I thank you for your prayers and prayers for me. On the feast of a Lady of Fatima on May 13th, I had to drive 13 hours, and I I was two hours into my trip. I left at 5.30 in the morning, and I was driving from Virginia to West Virginia on my way up to Milwaukee, and there was a, a two-lane highway I was on with no shoulders on e either side, and this deer came out of nowhere, jumped over the divider right into my truck, and I was I was going the speed limit, and it was... And, and, I was very fortunate that I didn't get hurt in life. So I thank you for your prayers. 
And I need more prayers. We all do at the Fatima Center. Pray for all priests and trust Our Lady. Once again, thank you for your, not only your prayers, but also your support financially. We can't do this without your help, and we want to continue to do this. Please bow your head and pray for God's blessing. Pax et benedictio Dei Onipotente. Patria, Filius, Spiritus, Sancti, Descendus, Supervos, Amenea, Semper. Amen. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Our prayer is that this presentation may enlighten your faith, strengthen your hope, and inflame your charity. Please share it far and wide. For more resources regarding the message of Fatima and the Catholic faith, we invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. St. Leonard of Port Maurice, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. <laughs>